Welcome to Optimal Health for Busy Entrepreneurs, the podcast for busy and high-performing entrepreneurs and leaders who are looking to create more energy and optimize their health while upgrading their brain and personal performance with precision. I am your host, Julian Hayes II. I've been involved with health and performance for over a decade. This podcast was created for the high performer who is unapologetically ambitious, the one who moves at a fast pace and operates with an edge, the one who wants to become superhuman. Nothing here is fluff, gimmicky, or feel good. I have little to no interest in simply helping you improve your life. I want to help transform it. By listening to this podcast, expect to have a body that feels just as good as it looks. Expect to possess a swagger and style that gives off an infectious vibe. Expect to command a stage or any boardroom you walk into with your executive presence. And lastly, expect to become your most enhanced self so you can live a limitless life. Now, let's get to the show. So welcome, everyone, to another episode of Optimal Health for Busy Entrepreneurs. It is your host here, Julian Hayes II, and today I have a really cool guest with me. His name is John Samez. He retired at the age of 33, and it wasn't all that it's cracked up to be. And he's also now the founder of the Bulldog Mindset, which is all about maximizing your potential in life. And he's also a guy who has encouraged me to start running a lot more. And so, uh, John, welcome to the episode, man. How's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Julian. Yeah, man. Man, I saw two quotes that I loved, or two lines, I should say. Mm-hmm. They stood out to me. One of those was, if you don't know what to do in any given, in any given situation, be as prolific as hell. Mm-hmm. And the other one is, become a finisher had a profound impact on your life. And that ties into my first question. Mm-hmm. Much like me, you you came up, you had a good family, no hardships, no really rags or like being left on the street or anything you had a pretty good comfortable life and you lived in the middle which i'm thinking which i and i've learned that the middle is oftentimes the hardest place to escape because life isn't so bad and it's just good enough so how did you get out of the middle what was one of your big moments to, to get out of the middle yeah that's a, that's an interesting observation I, I think it's it's so true right it's like you know, one of the things that that I learned, Tony Robbins says this a lot, is he, he talks about this idea of, you know, he's got this concept of of the basic needs that you have. And he says that, you know, if you have one of the human needs that is being met, but it's being met at a lower level, then you're not going to seek out to get it met at a higher level, right? So, you know, let's say that you have a, a need for, for, like important, a feeling of importance, right? You know, if you're getting that from just, let's say being a victim, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which a lot of people do, then you won't seek a higher fulfillment of that, of that need. Right. So I think that's, that's kind of the, the trouble and, and the trap is it's like when you're, when you're feeling a lot of pain, you, you, you are moved, right? When you, 
you know, have a lot of motivation, you have a lot of, of good things going on that also can cause you to move. But when you're in that middle where you're just comfortable, I think that's, that's a problem. In fact, there's, I think there's a, this, this story, if I remember about this, this guy and his, his dog and his dog's like sitting on a, a nail or something and uh, like laying on the nail and every once in a while it, he yelps and, and the guy is like, what, what's wrong with your dog? It's like, oh, he's laying, he's laying on the nail. <laughs> like, well, why doesn't he move? Oh, it doesn't hurt enough yet. <laughs> and that's, I think that's the problem. And that's where, I guess what, what I started to see was that, you know, there's this, I have this this idea that everybody thinks that someday they're going to be like a, a rock star, right? It's, it's kind of how I call it. It's like, it's like, you know, you have this vision of someday I'm going to be like a famous actor or I'll be a rock star or I'll be a millionaire or I'll, you know, and, and you just kind of figure that it's, it's far off. Someday you're going to get your shot. You know, you, you don't really, you don't really like really conceptualize that it's going to happen, but somehow you, you kind of feel like it's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like you're going to mm-hmm. get your shot someday. But it's not true, right? And and that's what I started to realize one day is I, I think I was I was looking at my life and I was like, you know what? You you're not like you're not gonna be really anything. Like you're you're just kind of <laughs> gonna be mo- mediocre unless you do something, right? And I was just waiting for it, like waiting for the opportunity, waiting for the time, waiting to really live my life and kind of expecting, you know, I think like most people do, that if you just like that someone will come along and recognize just how awesome you are. Right. Uh, you know, and and you haven't really earned it, right. Just like your potential. Right. And, and that's not going to happen. It's like, you know, again, like I said about like everyone thinking that they're going to be a rock star, you know, no talent scout is going to come around and be like you, you know what you're, I I can tell you're, there's something special in you. We're going to get you in a movie. We're going to make you famous. Uh, it's not going to happen. Right. It's not, it's not going to happen. And so that's what I, I started to realize in my life was that, you know, I, if I wanted the things that I wanted in my life and I wanted those things, right. I wanted to be retired, right. Young. I wanted to be quote famous. I wanted to, you know, have the opportunities that, you know, I wanted to have like, uh, to be proud of being an athlete and to, to build a business and to feel those, those accomplishments and, and things in life. And, the only way it was going to happen was if I started taking action. So that's, that was really the thing that, you know, that made me kind of wake up to realize that, you know, this, this level of comfort that I was feeling it, you know, it, it was, it was something that was actually holding me back because there wasn't enough pain. I, I wasn't, I didn't need to get out of the situation. I was fine. I was making good money. I could just sit back and play world of Warcraft when I had some free time, watch some TV shows, you know what I mean? And, and I never, and I didn't have to worry. And, and that actually, when I realized that thought, I, I talk, you know, one thing I was talking about is like, uh, you have these, these really few moments of, of lucidity in life, like clarity, where you're like, where you, where you see your life, you see something like you have some kind of fundamental truth that's revealed to you. And then you have to act on that. And that was one of those lucid moments of, of life where I was like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm seeing what's happening. Like, I don't want to forget this tomorrow. I don't want to like go back to sleep tomorrow, just living, just dreaming the dream and, and, and forgetting about this, this awakening that I had right now where, where I'm realizing I'm looking from top down and I'm saying, Hey, look, this is your life and I can see it going forward and I can see what direction it's going to go. And it's not going to be bad, but it's going to be mediocre. And so that was like something that just shook me up and made me say, okay, I, if I want something in life, it's not coming. No one's coming to save me. No one gives a fuck. I got to do it. Yeah. I, man, 
I had that moment. That's the, I, I can remember my moment as well. When I was, I was in medical school in the middle of my first semester mm. and I was just at a bar having a drink and this random girl beside me, she's talking about the life she's living, what she's doing. She, she's combining all her passions. She's really living her dream. And that made me really think about, I wanted something like that. And I could describe my life in that moment the way she could. Right. And I never could look back after that. And that made my decision easier to not go back to school after my first year. So I can totally relate to that moment. So let's backtrack a little bit on your backstory. And people see you now and they're like, man, this guy has it all. And when I went to look at your about me page and I saw what you looked like beforehand, (laughs) I was like, at first I was like, this shit cannot be real. Like, (laughs) I was like, Oh my God. So yeah. yeah. And the funny thing was at that, at that point you were pretty successful as a programmer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So let's, let's start there and, and talk about kind of how you got to where you are right now. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting because I wasn't always, so my transformation, it came in different stages and it, and it came in different ways. Right. So, when I was really young, you know, like kind of beginning of high school, I was like just slightly overweight. I was definitely very shy, kind of nerdy guy, right? Not, not good with women at all. Just very, very shy. Right. And, and, and sort of, I had a little bit of a small transformation in high school. I started, like I was going to high school in Hawaii. I was kind of getting beat up and picked on. And so I started lifting weights like over my sophomore year and I, I put some size on. I put some serious size on during that time. And I came back a little bit of a different person, right? A little bit more in shape, right? I started running a little bit. And so I looked, I looked pretty good, right? I, I was definitely, you know, up there and in my life changed around quite a bit. And then I, I started to build a little bit of confidence in myself and getting better grades and then eventually teaching myself to program. And, and I did, did pretty well as far as like, you know, it was, it was sort of like going from a complete loser to someone who was, was like successful, like by the, by the mediocre standards of success. Right. And then what happened was uh, over, over time, as I was a software developer, right. In the next probably 10 years, I I started like, I, I dropped some of those habits, right. I stopped going to the gym. I stopped running. I was eating out. I got to the point where you see in those pictures where I got really just fat and just, didn't take care of myself. And it was like a lot of bad shit was happening internally. And you could see that externally. Right. You know, and I, and it was because I hadn't really gone through a full transformation. What had happened was I had sort of figured out how to go through a more external transformation. Right. So I, I was able to sort of really fake it, but I didn't really become it uh, because I didn't have really the characteristics. Like the character had not really changed that much, even though I was, I was a little bit wiser and understanding it. You know, and and so what what happened was that I, you know, I I ended up slipping down, you know, because I didn't have a very good stair, that uh, very good ladder that I climbed up. And I I ended up in that state where eventually, you know, I got to the point where I like looked at the life that I had. And, and like, like I was saying before, I realized that that this was not, that this was like this mediocre path. Like, and and I was making good money. I was making six figures. I I was doing, you know, I was successful by a lot of the world's standards, but I knew. And when I looked in the mirror and I saw, you know, at at some point, I think what, what had happened was I went to the store to buy some 46 
size pants because the 44 wasn't fitting me anymore. And that's where I was like, who wears 46 size pants? You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> you, you look in the mirror and, uh, and you're like, oh yeah, I got a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a stomach here. Right. But I'm all right. I'm, I'm mostly, you know, buff. Right. Or, you know, you, whatever kind of excuse, cause you don't really see it cause over time, but then like, I couldn't deny it when I was buying 46 size pants. I was like, shit, I must be a fat ass. Like, there's, there's no way. And, and that was kind of the breaking point for me where, where things really started to change. And, and I, I started to make that real transformation. And, you know, in, in, like I said, uh, you know, a lot of it really, it, it comes from internal, right? So I started making the real changes in my life. One of them, like you said, at the beginning of the, of the podcast was, was becoming a finisher. And that, that was key. That mindset, that change of becoming a finisher was something that allowed me to now carry forth and do the things that I set out to do and to really, really change my mindset and change my life. And so that was really kind of the, the, the start of that, that journey of, of internal change, which resulted in, in the external change. And, and then not just the physical external change, but just the change of the person completely, right? Even if you look back at my YouTube videos, like five or six years ago, you'll see that it's a totally different person. I look a lot more like, like I do now, but the way that I just carry myself, my mannerisms, everything is just a complete transform because so much, so much of that change comes from internal. And then we see that change in our external world. Yeah, I um one thing I I do when I'm when I'm getting ready to talk to someone or I'm just curious about someone who's very prolific and they have thousands and thousands of videos, I go back and look at like their first few videos mm. and I compare it then to comparing it now to when I think you have over 250,000 subscribers now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I look at it then because sometimes we tend to compare ourselves and look at the version right now that you, but you've been doing this for years. And so I like to see that, that dichotomy and just like your, your vocal tonality and your body language so much has improved, but you only get there through experience and through doing it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So as you retire at 33, it's funny that somebody hears that you retired at 33. It probably Uh sounds like the dream that you can sit on the beach, you can drink, you can just work out. You can just chase women if you want. And you don't have to answer to anyone. And so that sounds great, but it's a paradox. And I think you experienced that, right? Yeah. So, you know, that was that was sort of my my real big goal in life was to retire young, right? I, I had that. That is my, my main goal in life. And I worked towards that. I started investing in real estate when I was 19. Damn, that's smart. And I, and I was, I, I didn't know at the time, like I, I can't give myself as, as much credit, but I, I know I didn't want to rent. That's what, what my mm-hmm. plan was. And then, and then later I figured it out, but I started buying about a house a year was, was, was my plan. And, you know, I really started trying to set up my life, especially after I'd gone through the kind of that second transformation where I could retire young and, and I worked towards it. I, you know, I, I busted ass for a long time producing courses for developers and my blog and, and YouTube channel and everything. And and, and so that was really my, my big goal. And then I remember, you know, when I, when I finally hit that point where I had enough passive income, where I told my boss I was quitting and, uh, and I decided to go to Hawaii, right. Just to live on the beach. I, I ended up going there for like two months. And, you know, the plan was just to like, 
just chill out, just relax, just enjoy life from now on, you know, sip my ties in the beach and play video games and do whatever I wanted to do. And, uh, it, and immediately I was hit with, with just a horrible depression. And I think, you know, one of the big reasons for that is because like anytime you achieve a major goal in life, it's it sort of, what ends up happening is like we set goals in the wrong way. And I was setting a goal in the wrong way, right? We, we set goals for what we can get as opposed to what we become. Mm -hmm. And when you set a goal for what you get, what you get is always, you know, we always have this hedonistic treadmill, right? Getting more never actually solves any, anything, right? Cause I know, you know, I've had all these things. I like every, every point in my life, I was like, okay, well, you know, if I could just do this, if I could just get this job, if I could just be older, right. When you're younger, you think that if I could just get, you know, that girl, or then it's like, if I could just like get a lot of girls, or if it's like, if, if I could just, you know, reach this bench press or, you know, whatever it is, like, you know, make this much amount of money, retire, you know, you keep on setting these things. And every time you you're doing that, you're never actually happy because you adjust to that, to whatever the new normal is. And in fact, it sets you up in a position where you, you actually are at a more risk for being depressed because the more you have, the more they can be taken away. So now you're fearing loss because, you know, when you gain something new, right, let's say you become rich, you, so you, bec you become a millionaire, you, that will be an enjoyable experience, but you will adapt to that and adjust to it. But if you were a millionaire and then all of a sudden you became poor, you would never adjust. Mm. It, it would, you, would, you would always feel the loss because you know what it was like, right? And so you're always guarding against that. So, so anyway, what, what ended up happening was I hit this depression because I had set all my sights on this goal and then I achieved the goal and then I had no purpose, like everything I was fo focusing towards all of a sudden disappeared because I had it, I achieved it. Okay. And so it was supposed to make everything magically, you know, great. My life was, was supposed to be all, all happy and it wasn't right. Because I, I kept on feeling like I didn't have a purpose in life. And that was, you know, and, and that's one of the big things I learned from that is that like the thing that you think you want in life, like getting the thing is not the thing. It, it, what it is, is it's, it's who you become in the process. And that is living your purpose. And, in having a purpose in life. That's what drives us. That's what builds, brings fulfillment and happiness in life is, is going towards a purpose. Cause when you think about it, all, most of the stuff that we do is really pointless. Like, you know, I, I was talking to, to, to some of the kids in the, in the younger generation. I think that a lot of the, the younger generation today, kind of the doomers have this nihilistic view, this nihilist type of viewpoint of life. And I was like, you know, you guys are right. Like, there is no point. There's no point. Let, let's, let's say, you know, let's, let's just assume that you're right because there's a pretty good chance that you're right. Like none of this is meaningless or not, none of this is meaningful, right? We're maybe we're just some random speck in the universe and, and it doesn't matter. And, and, and there's no purpose to life and, and all this stupid shit that we do, it has no purpose and there's no, you know, there, there's no meaning behind it. And, but, but here's the thing, right? We create the meaning, and that, that's the key is like, you have to create the meaning in your life. And so all this stuff that we're doing, right, all the goals that we have, like making money, you know, the businesses, all that, like all this stuff is just, there's no purpose to it. I mean, all we really have to do is eat and fuck. That's it. Like, really, I mean, from a biological perspective, everything else is just 
sort of why are we doing this, right? There, there's no real meaning. Like, I mean, you, you ascribe meaning. That's, that's the key. And that, that's one of the things that, that I learned that is so powerful is that we create the meaning, right? And so that's why we have to have a purpose is because we create that meaning. We make the things that we do meaningful. And that's why we choose goals. That's why we choose to do the things that we, we do in life. And so when you retire young and you, you're going to just live your life idly doing whatever you want, it, it's not a, it's not a good experience because you, you're missing a purpose, right? And so what ended up happening with me was, you know, during that, I didn't really enjoy the time at all. I immediately, you know, after after I had done the the trip to Hawaii, I decided to go back and I decided to go back to work and start working in my business and and start start helping people, even though I didn't have to work anymore. But you know, there was a freedom to it, and there still is a freedom to it, knowing that I don't have to do anything and no one can compel me to do anything because I'm. I've bought my freedom. I've unmortgaged my life at this point. But, but at the same time, I know that if I'm not busting ass, if I'm not constantly pushing after new goals and, and moving in a direction of growth, that I'm not going to be happy because you know you, you have to have a purpose. And, and that's, that's really the, the thing that I learned is from that whole experience. And it, it's, it's, uh, it's hard because it, you, you see a lot of people like even today, like a lot of celebrities who are thrust into success, right? And you see a lot of them kill themselves and you see them go into drugs and depression and, and all. And you wonder why you're like, man, if I were this guy, I would just be like, I, he has a perfect life. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because they, 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 they weren't ready for it because they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't realize that, that the, it's the purpose. It, it's like the drive. It's the meaning that we create in life that, that is important. It's, it's not what we get, right? If you, if you kind of suddenly get everything that you want, it'll probably be the most miserable day of your life, or, or maybe you'll enjoy it for some period of time. But then, you know, pretty soon, like everything you're chasing, you're, you got to realize like, what's the point of your life? Because most of the stuff that you're doing right now is to get somewhere, right? To get some money, to get the girl, to get the whatever it is. If you had all those things, you would then have to question what is the purpose of your life. And that's why we have to make our goals in life be not things, but they're, they're basically places for us to point our feet, uh, a direction to go in order to stretch us in order to become something more rather than to get something. Yeah, I like that. And so probably a natural question that you get a lot is then the guys asking you, how do I find my purpose? Yeah, so this is this is what I say about that. So the best way to find your purpose is to think about what is it in life that you would do no matter what, no matter what station you are in life, no matter what circumstance that no one could stop you from doing, right? So you're, you're already doing your purpose. You're just not aware of it. Once you become aware of it, then you will be able to do it better and you, you'll be able to connect those, those things in your life. So for example, for me, right? It doesn't matter if I was a janitor or the president of the United States. The one thing that I've always done throughout my life, things that thing that I'll always do, no one can ever stop me from doing, is going out there and learning as much as I can about a subject, simplifying it and teaching it and sharing that with others. Like that, that's what I've always done. If I was a janitor, I'd figure out the best way to mop the floor and I would teach all the other janitors mm -hmm. how to how to do that, right? It, like as I was a software developer, that's what I ended up doing. That's why I created the blog. So I created a YouTube channel as I learned about personal development and masculinity 
bulldog mindset was born from that so that I could share what, what I was learning and, and I will always do it. But now I know what my purpose is. And so it, it's a matter of, you know, you don't find your purpose. You're already living your purpose, right? It's just a matter of recognizing what it already is. Cause you, you, you can't, the thing about your purpose is you can't not do it. You're doing it right now. You just don't know what it is. And also I think that so many people think that their purpose is like some thing, like some job or some calling. That's not true. That's like a way of expressing your purpose, but your purpose is, is the thing that, that it doesn't matter what the context is that you will always do the, the, the person you know, that you, that you are and, and, and what drives you. And, and so it's just a, a matter of, of recognizing that. And then once you recognize that, then you can see how that fits into anything that you're doing. And, and that's, that's where you can see where you can use that in whatever role that you're at in life. And, and then, you know, the important thing about that also is, th- is that you start to realize it's not, it's not what you do that matters. It's how you do it because what you do can change over time and you might not have control over it. I mean, sometimes you're in a bad situation in life. Sometimes you're dealt a a bad hand of cards and and you can't do a lot to overcome your situation, right? You look at someone like Viktor Frankl who wrote Man's Search for Meaning in the concentration camps. Like he didn't have a lot of choice over that. Like he didn't choose to go to the concentration. He didn't have a lot of choice when he was in there, but he had choice over how he lived his life, how he thought about it, how he did what he did. And he was able to live his purpose while still living in a concentration camp and being tortured and subject to all kinds of abuse. And so when we start looking at it from that perspective and we look at, uh, at, at living our purpose, no matter what it is or where we're at, then we, we start looking at the really important thing, which is how, how we do things is what matters, not, not what we do. Bingo, bingo, spot on there. Yeah. And so I'm curious with your, um, you're previously a software developer and, mm-hmm. and you built that brand up. What unexpected lessons from software developing has been beneficial to you even to this day right now? Yeah, there's a bunch of them. In fact, it's kind of interesting. I just did a video talking about some, some of them on the other channel and simple programmer channel, but you know, one of the things at a kind of basic level is, is automation is, just, you know, software development is basically automating manual processes. And just as a business person in my life in general, I have, I sort of live my life almost like an algorithm, right? It's like I create rules for myself and I follow those rules and I automate as much of my life as possible. So I don't, I don't make judgment calls as, as much as I can avoid it on the spot. Cause if we make judgment calls, we're going to make bad judgment calls over time. Right. And so I eliminate judgment calls as much as possible from my life and said, create rules for myself. Right. And, and those rules define my behavior and my actions. And I can modify those rules if I want to modify the outcome. Right. If, if I constantly throughout the day, if I'm saying, well, you know, should I go and run today? I, you know, maybe 90% of the time I'll make the right choice, but if 10% of the time I make the wrong choice, well, I'm, I'm not going to be a very consistent runner, right? It's, it's not going to be very good. In fact, you know, that, that would be batting way higher than average, right? If, if you make a decision as, as high as your willpower can be, and I think my willpower is fairly high, I will probably make a bad decision 50% of the time. That, that's, that's more likely, right? So I'm going to fail half the time of doing what, what I intend. But if I don't make a judgment call, if I just automate that process so that the judgment call is made ahead of time, so that I'm using rules, then I'm going to make the correct decision 100% of the time because there is no decision to be made. It's already pre-made. So uh, a couple other things I'd say that that are really relevant is 
uh, you know, breaking things down, right? Realizing one of the big things about software development is learning that any problem is is composed of smaller problems and you can eventually break a problem down into the smaller and smaller pieces. And so I, I sort of tackle life that way and, and look at things in terms of how can I break this down into a smaller piece and smaller piece till I get to something that I can solve, right? In software development, when you do that, it, it equates to, you know, every single problem can be broken down into a single line of code, right? And you can always write a single line. So you can always solve any problem. And and it's the same thing in life. It's like, we look at these problems, we think that they're so big, but then, you know, there's, there's small steps. What, what little things can we do? How can we make these smaller problems and then solve each one of those small problems and in aggregate solve the bigger problem. And then, and then something else that I look at that, that is sort of related to, to software development, but probably a little bit more related to poker. It kind of overlaps is probabilities. Right. So I don't think of things in terms of true or false or, or right or wrong. I think of them as as in terms of probabilities of, of being correct. Right. And and I weigh them based on the the outcome. So again, you know, this is I guess the, the lesson was was more enforced in, in poker. But one of the things that you learn in poker is that like it's it's not just the odds that you're looking at. It's it's the odds versus the the reward potential that you get on the percentage time that, that you're right. So it, it's called expected value or EV, right? And so you want to always make positive EV moves, right? That means that you know for every time that you you do that, you expect to have a gain if you did this, uh, you know, an infinite number of times. So for example, if, if I flipped a coin and I said that, okay, you know, you call it heads or tails. If you get it right, uh, then you're going to get a dollar fifty. But if you get it wrong, then you're going to, you're going to have to pay me, uh, you know, a, a dollar, right? You should take that bet every every single mm-hmm. time right you should flip it as many times as possible uh it, it's going to make uh it's going to make a lot of sense to to do that right uh or or let's say you know if you sometimes it looks a lot more extreme like that same flipping of a coin if i said that in order to to play this game it costs you ten dollars every time to play the game and then you know if you're if you're wrong it'll it'll cost you uh you know a, another like $50, but if you're right, you're going to get $200, right? Again, you should play that game, right? That's, it, it, it makes sense. Like a lot of times you're going to, you you might lose and, and we could stack the deck so that it's like something that, that you lose like 90% of the time, right? So let, let's say that we had a 10 sided die and you're going to roll that die. And every time that you, uh, that you, you rolled the die and you got a one, uh, then I would give you $11, but every time that you roll the die and it didn't come up a one, it would cost you one dollar. Well, you know, every time that you roll that, your expected value is a dollar and ten cents, right? Because uh, w- what's going to happen is that you know nine out of ten times you're going to lose a dollar, but uh, one out of ten times you're going to gain eleven, right? So, um, so so actually, yeah. So I guess it's like ten cents is what your your net expected value is, right? So anyway. Uh, you know, that's a long way of saying that, like, I look at decisions in life based on that, right? I don't look at just the the odds or if this is a correct play. I look at, like, if this, if this move is repeated over and over, over time, will it have a net positive or net negative result, regardless of, of the current odds? You know, you, you may choose things that are going to 
that you're going to have a very high chance of, of failing or losing. But when you win, it's going to be, it's going to compensate for the times that you lose, you know, that then it's going to make sense to make that choice. Right. And so there's a lot of circumstances in life. And even when you just look at the, the probability of things, like, you know, I try not to hold beliefs instead I hold sort of like probabilistic beliefs about, mm-hmm. about things. Right. And like someone was, was, uh, got really upset on my YouTube channel. Cause I said, you know, they're, they're like, Oh, why are you talking about the, the entertaining, like the flat earth theory and all this, you know, cause there's, there's a guy that, <laughs> that think that the earth is flat. And I was like, well, you know, honestly, like I think there's a 95% probability that the earth is round and probably maybe I'll give a 5% probability that the whole conspiracy theory and everything is, is right. Right. But so if I have a 95% probability in something, what am I going to do? I'm going to operate on that knowledge, right? I'm going to act as if that were a hundred percent true and the world was, was round and, and every decision. I mean, there's very, very few decisions that you make that are based on whether or not the earth is round or flat, to be honest. But, um, but if there are those decisions, I'm going to make them assuming that that that's the case, but I'm still holding in my mind this 5% chance or whatever it is. Maybe it should be a 1% chance. We could argue over the semantics or some people say, no, it should be a Mm -hmm. 0.01% chance. Okay, whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's just that like for anything, you know, I'm never going to give something a hundred percent certainty, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm going to operate you know, based on what is going to be the highest probability. And, and that's, I think that's probably the, the biggest, you know, lesson I've learned in life is because the thing is, when you think that way, you stop attaching your ego to what you believe. Like beliefs are, are deadly. Beliefs are, are like the worst things that we can have in life because beliefs, they seem to like, they attach to our ego. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I think it was in, in Dale Carnegie's book and how to win friends and influence people, or maybe it was in psycho cybernetics, but, but he was talking about how like we're, we're insulted. Even if, uh, if, if someone tells us that our, our watch is wrong, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's like, because it's our belief, because it's ours, right? It's like our ideas, our beliefs, right? Where we, we resent anyone telling us that they're wrong because we attach them to ourselves. But when we look at it in terms of probability, we're like, well, okay, we don't have that attachment anymore. So we're willing to let it go mm-hmm. uh, because it doesn't matter because the ego is not invested in it. So I try to make my decisions and just live my life thinking about things in terms of probabilities as opposed to in, t- in terms of absolutes. Um, and, and one kind of like small corollary to that, which I like to say a lot too, is that, you know, one thing about ignorance is that you can never be aware of your own ignorance because that, that's the very definition of ignorance, mm-hmm. right? So it, it's impossible. It's like in Princess Bride, like the the, the poison that you can't you can't smell or, or you know I forget what the the poison is you know uh, if you, if you've seen that movie, but it's the same thing with ignorance. We can't know of our own ignorance, right? So to some degree, in all of life, we just have to assume that we could be ignorant in this situation because it's undetectable, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to, to someone who is ignorant, a wise person seems like a fool, <laughs> right? In a particular area. So we, we, we think they're dumb. We think they're stupid, but we have to keep in the back of our head, like, you know, it, I could be the one who's ignorant here, right? And I would have no way of knowing this. So if someone is more successful than me in a certain area, I sort of have to give them the benefit of that kind of trust that it might be possible that I'm wrong. And that, again, that comes back to the same thing as the probability is it's like, if we can hold on, okay, well, you know, I'm 98% sure here, but I'm 2% unsure here. Hmm. Right. And so that 2%, if I can 
you know, I, I can realize that, you know, a hundred, if, if, if the, that problem comes up, if situations like this come up 50 times in my life, one of those 50 that two, that that's, it's going to kick in and I will be wrong. Right. So, um, you know, so I try to keep all that in mind when make, I'm, when I'm making decisions in life. Yeah. That, that is so applicable, especially to health. And that's, I don't use that exact same verbiage, but I kind of have the same philosophy when it comes to trying new things, looking at health in different ways, looking at different modalities and just keeping my mind open to perhaps this is going to work. There's a probability there's going to work. There's enough evidence. What do I have to lose to not try it? Right. Because the the payoff is going to be much greater than it not even working at all. So that's a very, I, I love, I love the way you said it. it was much more poetic than the way I just said it. Why I'm always curious when people, um, why they start their business and the names. So why bulldog mentality or bulldog yes. mindset? Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so what happened was w- with my other company, simple programmer, when I was doing the YouTube videos on there, I started getting really into personal development and, and doing more of the videos, more focused on personal development and specifically a lot on, on men's topics. And I got a lot of comments from people that, that were similar, you know, multiple people had said, you know, I, they had asked, emailed me or left a comment on a video and said, how do I get that bulldog mindset that you have? Right. That was like a common, it had come up like three or four times, I think. And so that's, that's where the name came from. And so I was like, you know what, if, if other people are calling it the bulldog mindset, then, then there must be something to it. So, so that's, you know, that's, uh, that led to the, the name of the business. Yeah. It's interesting. A lot of times our names comes from just random things like that. So I use superhuman a lot more now because a friend said one day, what do you think you're superhuman or something? And I was like, I kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to start using that word a lot more. Yeah. I love that. So, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, man. Let's, um, when it comes to like your business, your businesses, your, both of your businesses, I should say are, are quite successful. And probably another common question that you get among maybe your coaching client is, or actually I'm going to rephrase this. What are some things that you've noticed? Cause this, a lot of entrepreneurs have different question, uh, observations around this is what are some traits and characteristics that you notice from your most successful clients? The biggest one by far, and I think maybe this is like the biggest secret in life is commitment. Mm-hmm right? It's committing, fully committing to things, right? Like if you fully commit, it's, it's amazing. It works on so many different levels. There, there's so many reasons why it works. Everything from, from success with business to success with women to just, uh, just like charisma. Like all, the, the thing is like, if you believe something, right, other people will believe it too. And it, it becomes that reality. And so many people give up so, so soon, right? It's like, you have to be willing to burn the boats to say, I am going to make this work. Right. And that was, you know, that was the case with, with a lot of my businesses and and ventures, right. You know, simple programmer. Now it seems like something that is, is pretty commonplace, like teaching soft skills to software developers. But before I created simple programmer, there was no concept of, teaching soft skills to software developers. There was, there was no conference tracks in, in tech about soft skills, right? Like literally when I wrote the book, Soft Skills, that 
sort of spawn that. And so a lot of people were like, well, it's kind of weird. Like, how are you going to make money? How are you going to build a business around something that people aren't even searching for? Because no one's searching for soft skills for software developers. But I, I didn't let that stop me. Like I, I was committed that I was going to make this work. Like, right. And the, and the same thing, even with bulldog mindset, I cover a lot of different areas in bulldog mindset, but I w- I'm committed, right. I, I'm, I'm going to make it work. So many of the, of the people that I, that I talk to that I see in life that are unsuccessful. They're the ones that are like, I'm going to try this. Right. And you can't have that attitude, right? I mean, everything from when I coach someone in business and they're like, oh, I'm going to try this idea. I'm going to try this business for a while. I'm like, all right, well, good luck because that's, um, you know, it, it's not going to work. Like, like you, you, nothing that you try is, is going to be, you have to decide that you're going to make this work because you're going to hit so many obstacles in your way. It's the same thing, you know, when, when I'm coaching guys on, on, on women, it's, it's Sandy. They're like, Oh, I'm going to try. Like they're not committing. They're, they're not like, they're not like I'm going to make this work. And and so they fail because it, it comes across, right? They, they, because they don't have that confidence because they, they feel like they have another alternative. And again, I think some of this comes from like, we're talking about like to bring this full circle at the beginning of the interview where you're talking about like being in the, in the middle, and the problem with being in the middle is you can try things, right? You can, yeah. you can be like, ah, yeah, I'll just go out and I'll try this. I'm going to go out, you know, you know, whatever. At least I can, I can come back to my regular job or I can live with my parents or, you know, and, it, and it's like, no, no, no. Like you have to be in that desperate situation where you've burned the boats. We're like, no, no, this has to work. This must happen. Right. Um, you know, I could give you another example here, which is like, like for me training for this hundred mile race, you, you can't, <laughs> you, you're not going to like run a hundred miles. You're not going to train for a hundred mile race and be like, well, I think I, this year, I think I might sign up for a hundred mile race. <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to start training for it and I'll see how I feel. I'll feel like I've, I'll see if I'm going to get there. And then, uh, and then, you know, if I, if I feel like I'll do it, then I'll, then I'll, no, it's, you're never going to, because the level of training, the level of commitment that's required, like you have to say, I'm going to run this. And I'm going to make this happen. And you have to decide because even when you're running a marathon, if you're not committed, I mean, 26.2 miles is a long way. That's like, for most people, it's going to be a good four hours of running. Okay. If you're not committed to finishing that thing, you ain't going to finish. If you're like, I'm going to try and see how far I get. (laughs) Good luck. You run like 10 miles or 15 miles or whatever, and you'll be done. You, You won't, you have to say at the beginning of the race, I'm running 26.2 miles. I'm not stopping until I get to the finish. I'm committed to this, right? And and that's the difference. And that's the, the big, big problem is it's the same thing in business. If you start a business and you're like, oh, well, I'm going to try this. I'll see how far I can get or, or what I can do with this. <laughs> yeah, right. Because you're going to, the problem is it's not that like you can't succeed. It's that you're going to hit so many obstacles. And the only way to get through those obstacles is when you're totally committed, if you're not totally committed, you're just going to back off. You're going to see it as um, a sign from God that this is not what you're supposed to do. This isn't my passion. It must not be working out. The timing must not be right. I must not be, you know, built for this, whatever it is. But, you know, if you're like, fuck, I got to do this shit. I got to make this work. Then you're going to make it work. And that's, that, you know, so commitment is is probably the, the biggest, biggest thing. And, you know, I'll give you kind of another example here just to show you how powerful it is, is it's like, if you ever been to karaoke, right, and you watch someone do karaoke, 
you know, you can have, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but, but I've gone to like karaoke bars in LA where like people are just like phenomenal and stuff. And you can have someone that goes up and, and they go and sing karaoke and they just have like a wonderful voice. Right. But they're real timid and they're not really active and they're just like singing and, and it's good. You know, everyone, you know, is clapping and everything. Right. And then this guy comes up and he's drunk and he's like, he gets the mic and he's just like, he sounds, he doesn't sound great. You know, he doesn't sound horrible, but he's just acting it out. He's just giving it his all. He just like, doesn't give a fuck. And he's just, you know, giving his performance the best that he can and people just go nuts and they're cheering. They love the guy. He's awesome. Right. It's like, because he's committed. It's, it's, it's a difference between his commit. It's like just fully committing to a thing is so much more important. Right. And you can see that, right. You can see that in, in, in people and interactions. And that's where that charisma element comes in. It's like, you know, when someone is like not really putting themselves out there, but when someone is like committed when they really have said they're, they're putting their ego on the line, they're just like, fuck it. I'm going for this shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you want to get behind that person. You want to cheer them on. You, you believe in them. And, 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 and you look at, you know, politics today and like leadership and, and, and kind of things that, that we see in the world today without getting too much into the politics of things. Look at, look at how successful people that are committed, that can inspire, even when they're wrong that can inspire people because they believe what they're doing so much that other people believe. And it's been throughout history, right? I mean, there's been a lot of bad leaders that have (laughs) done bad things, but they've inspired people because of the commitment level that they had. So that's, that's like the most essential thing. Yeah. I was getting ready to just say that uh, I read, I've read about some very, probably very bad people throughout history and you can learn that very thing right there Mm. that, they inspire just because they were so committed to their cause, even though the cause wasn't necessarily good. They had, they rallied a bunch of people behind them. And that reminds me of the quote I also wrote down here that what you said is about trusting the process and focusing on the result. And you were focused on getting to 2000 YouTube videos, I believe. Yeah. 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 So, so I've got sort of a, you know, I don't really like goals. We kind of mentioned this before yeah. about, but I also don't like the, a different thing about goals, which is that, you know, if someone makes a goal, like I want to earn a million dollars this year, or I want to have a hundred thousand YouTube subscribers. And it's like, okay, but you can't control that. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, it's like throwing a dart at a wall. Like I, I, it's like, I've been to a lot of even Tony Robbins seminars are like motivational and and they're like, write down your goals. And you know, what are your goals for this year? And I'm like, okay, what kind of bullshit should I come up with here? Because because I can't do these things. Like I don't have control over them. So anything that you don't have direct control over in my mind is a shitty goal, right? Mm -hmm. I've heard of smart goals, but, but let's go beyond smart goals. Let's start at, at the higher level, which is to say, if you don't have direct control over it, it's a shitty goal because you can't control it. You have no power. Like, you know, maybe you hit it, maybe you don't. You're kind of guessing at what you think that you'll reach mm-hmm. as opposed to actually reaching something. So I call those things aspirations. And I think aspirations are great, right? So we'll take the YouTube channel, right? I had an aspiration of getting 100,000 subscribers on my YouTube channel, okay? It can't be a goal. Why? Because I can't control it directly. I cannot make a hundred thousand people subscribe to my YouTube channel, right? I don't have control over it. But 
what I do like doing then is to take that aspiration and using that to create goals, which are actual achievable things, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and usually there's a pretty good connection, right? So I said, okay, when I said I want 100,000 subscribers on my YouTube channel as my aspiration, I said, well, what kind of goal could I make that I have control over that I could create? And if I achieve this goal, then I will have 100,000 subscribers most likely. Again, not, can't say for sure, right? Because I don't have direct control. But I looked at a lot of YouTube channels. I said, you know what? I don't see very many YouTube channels. I don't know of any YouTube channel that has over 2,000 videos on it that doesn't have at least 100,000 subscribers, right? If they have 2,000 legit videos. So I said, okay, if I make my goal to get 2,000 videos on my channel in the next two years, then there probably is like a 99% chance I'll also hit the aspiration of, of having 100,000 subscribers, right? So those things become linked. And then from there, I said, okay, well, how can I get 2,000 videos in two years? I need a process, right? Mm-hmm. What it turned out was that my process would be that I would need to create, I think I had something like 600 or something videos already on the channel. So I needed like 1,500 more, somewhere around that. And so what it turned out was I needed to make 15 videos a week. So my process would be make two videos a day and three on Sunday, right? And do that for two years. And, uh, and, and so that's something I can do. It's a process. Again, you know, these, these are things that are completely in my control, right? I, I, that's why the 2000 videos is a good goal and the process is my complete control. And so, you know, I know if I follow that process that the results will come or they won't come right? Uh, Maybe I won't reach that aspiration, but I'll definitely reach the goal. And that's all I can do, right? I can only do, that's where coming, trusting the process comes into play is that like, if we break down our things in life like that, and we say, all right, I'm just going to figure out the process. And then I'm going to trust the process. Even now, like as I'm running training for this hundred mile race, I've hired a coach. Okay. I trust the coach. He gives me a workout every day, tells me what I'm supposed to run. I, I just do my workout. I just do my run. And I am trusting that the result will be, I'll be able to run the hundred miles. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all I can do. And maybe I can't run the hundred miles, but I can trust the process and, and the result. Maybe I'm going to sprain my ankle in the first 10 miles and then I'll be fucked. It could happen, but, but all I can do is what I can do. And so with the YouTube videos, what ended up happening was well before I ever got to 2000 videos, I got a hundred thousand subscribers, right? But I was making two videos a day for, a good year and a half or two years, I think is what I ended up doing. And, you know, and it worked, right? Because it was something that I could actually control. So, so the big thing is like, don't set goals that mm-hmm. are not in your power. It needs to be in your direct control. That's where so many people mess up and, and they never achieve what they want in life. And so it's good to have the aspiration. The aspiration informs what your goal is. But then from that aspiration, you figure out what is an actual goal. And then from there, figure out a process and then repeat the process over and over again. And then you trust that process and you know, as long as I do this thing every day or every week or whatever it is, I will eventually reach the goal. Damn, I love that. Man, when I get into YouTube, I'm going to... It's 2000. I'm going to do that. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I love that. When, when I make the move to YouTube, when I branch out to YouTube, but yeah, man, let's quickly um, talk about your, um, like your, your fitness routine and your, your, your training and everything. Um, yeah. it's very unique that you're a distance runner also because you yeah. weigh what, 225, I believe. I'm about 230 right now. Yeah. 230. Yeah. So most of the time you see distance runners and they're, I don't want to, you know, offend anyone out there, but they're a little on the skinny side. Right. So, uh, what's, uh, what got you into distance running? Hating running. 
<laughs> me too. I hate it too. Yeah. And I think that's why I needed to start doing it more. Exactly. Exactly. So you get it. <laughs> like you got to do shit that you hate, right? That that's like so many people try to do shit that they love and they're miserable. Mm-hmm. But when you, you got to do shit that you hate, why? Because the thing is like, if you do something that you hate, you that that's when you'll you'll grow to love it. Those are the things that are going to build your character. Those are the things that are going to define you, and that are really going to you know shape who you are. So I was running like three miles a day, basically a five k three times a week, and I did that for like four or five years, you know, for pretty pretty much never missing a day, and it sucked. I hated running. I never got any faster, never got any better. I was like, wow, this is like ridiculous. Like how can anyone ever run a marathon? I can't even imagine running 10 miles, like three is hard, you know, and it never gets any easier. This is like, just, it makes no sense to me. Right. And then what I, I kind of came to this realization one day, I was like, John, you know, if you hate running so much, you really need to do more of it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I up my miles to like six miles a day, uh, you know, every other day. And then, you know, and then what, what started to happen is uh, some days I do like seven or eight miles, got up to nine miles and then I actually started to kind of like it a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, in in some sick morbid way, I was like, okay, I kind of like the pain of, of doing this, this, this running. And, uh, you know, maybe it's like Somerset Maw, who is like, you know, when he, when they ask him, like, you know, do you like writing? And he's like, uh, I, I like having written. And it's sometimes it's for me, it's like, I like having, having run. <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. I don't enjoy the process of running it itself. Sometimes I do. I mean, not, not that I don't ever. But what I found was that as I started running longer and longer distances, I actually enjoyed it more and, and liked it more. And, you know, if you do something that you hate enough, you'll, you'll grow to love it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's kind of just, just a powerful lesson that, that Tom is like, like you, you, if you do something, if you, whatever it is, if you put some level of effort into it and, and really put put a high level of effort into it, you'll eventually enjoy it because what we enjoy is not what we think we like. There's a difference between happiness and fulfillment and fulfillment mm-hmm is is like is like the thing that we should really be after and it's like fulfilling to accomplish something really hard in in life and that's what you know what what builds our character and makes us stronger so yeah so that that ended up being you know the thing for me was uh uh yeah it was hating it and that's what what got me into it and then also you know it's something also that i think with with my audience and stuff it's like you know i i try to do things that are more extreme so that I can eliminate excuses from people because, you know, my mission is really to get rid of the victim mindset. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, look, if I'm 230 pounds and I can fucking run 50 miles, then I, what are you bitching about? Like, there, there's no excuses. There's, there's no, you know, I'm, I'm not whining at, at the fact that I, I weigh twice as, the size or twice as much as a, as a normal distance runner. You know, I'm never going to be the fastest, but, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Look, I, 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 I've, you shut me the fuck up. I'm 190. I'll probably get up to 195 soon. And I used to always say I'm I'm a little heavier to, to just run in this distance. I'm a power athlete. And yeah. uh, and then I saw you and I was like, shit. Well, I'm gonna shut the hell up, you know, because if this guy can do it, fuck, I can do it, yeah. you know. And just like you said, I'm not gonna be the fastest, but you know, I'm earning respect with myself by doing shit I absolutely hate. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I love that. So man, we're going to do a few rapid fire questions to wrap up here. So, um, what are two to three books that, um, have had a major influence on you? Mm. How to win friends and influence people. 
Cycle Cybernetics. I just read that. It's a good one, yeah. Uh, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Uh, uh, Joe Dispenza? Yeah, Joe Dispenza. Damn it. That's like, you're the, like the fourth person in the last two weeks that I've talked to who is recommending that book. I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm buying the book right after we get done. It's really good. It's really good. <laughs> um, gosh, I can rattle off a bunch. I'll just rattle off what's coming to my head. Untethered okay. Soul. Uh, okay. Really good. Uh, try to think. Uh, what other major one? Oh, you know, War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. That was a huge one. So, oh, yeah. yeah. That really helped me with writing. Yep. Yeah. Mm, that's a really good one. Yeah, man. Who are, um, I'm into music a lot, so I'm always curious to see what people are listening. Who's your all time musical starting five? And it can be bands or solo artists. <laughs> I, I listen to so little music. Like when oh. I run, I listen to audiobooks, like at 3x speed. So, oh man, I listen to three, I listen to audiobooks at 3x speed, just not when I train. That's interesting. Oh yeah, I, I use those in my library. So it's like yeah. my library time is like, you know, when I'm running all these hours, I'm I usually consume like three books or so a week on, mm. on Audible. Uh, so yeah, so I don't listen to a lot of of, of music. I mean, if, if it were to like, you know, bands that, that I'm familiar with would be, you know, the ones from high school, like, uh, you know, like uh, Eve Six and uh, Blink-182 and Ooh, you know, that. That's, that's, yeah. 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 So. Okay. So we'll do, so that's why we did extra books because uh, you put that extra time into books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. You're the first person who hasn't been, um, who hasn't really just been into music. It's interesting. Yeah. And also with running, I never thought about doing that. I might try it one time. Just to, I'm curious. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. So, okay. So let's pretend you're at a round table and you know, you can, you can have a bottle of wine or a bottle of whiskey or just water, depending on what you prefer in that moment. And, um, you can invite three people from history to join you at this round table. Who would you invite? And this excludes any family members. Okay. Well, I mean, definitely one of them would be Seneca. Okay. Um, you know, uh, let me see who else would I have there. That's a tough question. I never really, really thought about that. Yeah. I mean, it's probably going to be, it's probably going to be three philosophers. It's probably, <laughs> it, it, it's probably going to be like, um, uh, trying to think, think who else that maybe you know maybe 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 it'd be like dale carnegie maybe i'd be have him him there and then uh i don't know i guess marcus aurelius would would be there too so yeah i can see that okay yeah. a lot of times the answer that people give here it kind of reflects on on kind of who that person is in general yeah yeah and so because I, I think on your website you talk about stoicism a lot yeah so, yeah so um so yeah it's always a question that kind of tells you about a person without you saying what kind of person you are and then um the last question here is pretend somebody comes up to you and they're tapping you they're tapping you on the shoulder after you got done running okay. and, they're, and they're like hey john um what are three things i can do starting today to become a superhuman entrepreneur what would you tell them well one is commit mm -hmm. commit to it uh, and commit to everything that you do in life, like hundred percent burn the boats. The second one I would say is I'm trying to think like a lot of, the, a lot of the things derive from commitment. So I would say read, mm -hmm. read a lot, right? 
that's i mean that's that's been such a critical thing in my life is 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 reading learning from other people the third one i would say is to learn to work without motivation hmm. because so many of us like you know if if you feel like you're if you're only going to do things when you feel like doing them you're not going to do much because no matter what it is, no matter how much you love it, you will hate it. Just, just like we do things that we hate, the things that we love, we hate as well <laughs> when we do enough of it, right? It sort of works the opposite way, right? It's like if you you might be passionate about this idea, you might love this business you're building or like, oh, I really want to do podcasts or YouTube videos or right. I mean, I've been there, done that, all that. I mean, you know, one, one thing I always tell people is, is like, you know, Imagine like if you're a male porn star, someday you're going to wake up and you're like, I really don't feel like going to work today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, I'm sure. Right. You know? Yeah. They got to have some days. Yeah. Right. Everything, so gets, does, everything gets routine. Yeah. So no matter what it is, like you're, you're going to have to like the, one of the best skills you can have in life is just to learn to work without motivation to just be like, and again, that's where one of the things I learned from the war of art, you know, Stephen Pressfield was like, you know, you sit down at the desk and you just fucking do the work. That's mm-hmm. it. Like it, you don't need to be motivated. You don't need to be inspired. You just fucking start typing. And that's, that's it. So much of my life is that it's, it's a grind, right? This is again, you know, another big lesson I learned from playing poker and from, uh, from a lot of, a lot of things is like, you know, that life is just a grind and you just have to learn to love the grind and and if you if you just need excitement and 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 the thrill and entertainment all the time, uh, you're, you're not going to make it because so much of the shit that that just that's going to make you successful is going to be like ninety percent of the shit that makes you successful in life is going to be the boring ass fucking shit that yeah. you don't want to do. Yeah. So that allows you to do the ten percent that you like. I remember I asked this uh, this entrepreneur who was well seasoned uh, a few years ago. Kind of I was kind of frustrated early in the process of getting things going. And, uh, and the, the main thing to success, he, he said, was just keep fucking showing up. Yeah. Just yeah. keep showing up. So yeah, that's a very great way to end this conversation. John, where can listeners find out more about you? Big thing is just go to bulldog.me. Bulldog me. That's okay. what you can think. Bulldog.me. From there, you will go to my Bulldog quiz, mm-hmm. which will tell you if you're a Bulldog or not. I've got like 10 questions on there. And that will give you kind of a score from zero to 100 to let you know what kind of a Bulldog you are. And then I'll send you some information on how to increase your score. And then you can find, you know, that'll be on the Bulldog.com website. You can find my YouTube channel and everything uh, that, you, that you want from there. So Bulldog.me. I will Bulldog you. <laughs> awesome to hear man and john thank you so much for this conversation man and everyone out there stay awesome and continue to be limitless peace if you are a high performance entrepreneur leader or executive looking to supercharge your energy and become the most enhanced version of yourself without the guesswork and you're tired of cookie cutter templates, randomly guessing and hoping the next thing will work, and you actually want a precise and bespoke health optimization and performance roadmap that is in-depth, data-driven, and custom-tailored specifically for you, then my superhuman coaching programs are probably a good fit for you. No stones will be left untouched. Now, it's not a good fit for you if you're someone who does not want to invest the time, the commitment, 
nor the energy into getting the results. But if you are someone who is ready to start their end of one journey, upgrade their body and brain with precision, and truly live a limitless life, I invite you to apply by heading over to the artifitisinlife.com forward slash us, and you'll get the opportunity to talk with me for 60 minutes, and we'll take a deep dive into where you currently are and where you're trying to go, and then we'll decide if this is a good fit for you and me. And if it is, I'll extend an invitation for us to work together. Once again, to apply, head over to the artofitnessinlife.com forward slash us. I look forward to hearing from you.